Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Binational boats beyond Bab el Mandeb. This could be a fitting headline for a groundbreaking, or in this case perhaps sea-breaking activity, undertaken in March but revealed only about a week ago. The Israel Navy and the U.S. Fifth Fleet linked up far away from Israel's borders, more than 2,000 kilometers south of Eilat, as vessels of these friendly navies perform mutually beneficial duties in a key maritime front between Asia, or more to the point Arabia, and the continent of Africa. What does this further upgrade in the Israeli-American naval relationship mean for both parties and their posture against a common maritime threat emanating from the Islamic Republic of Iran? Joining us to discuss this matter all the way from London, the United Kingdom, is Colonel Retired Joel Rayburn, who is formerly uh, the U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary for Levant Affairs, a senior White House advisor at the National Security Council and special envoy for Syria, among others. Thank you for joining us, uh, Colonel. My pleasure. Also joining us uh, here at the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, uh, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amil Olin. Amil, set the stage for us uh, about this unique relationship uh, from uh, one perspective, but also the challenging uh, area of operations, which uh, we also define right now, the southwestern uh, flank of Nafsent on the one hand, and uh, the southern flank of Israel. So the um, uh, most important um, aspect of uh, what you call this unique phenomenon is the publicity, because it turns out that years ago there has been a secret relationship between the Israeli Navy and the U.S. uh, Fifth Fleet. Let's go back just for a moment uh, uh, to history. Israel has its southernmost uh, port at Eilat, its only port on the Red Sea and uh, the gateway to the Far East, but through Bab el Mandeb, which is about 2,000 kilometers south of Elat. Israel fought two wars in 1956 and 1967 because of a blockade on the Straits of, on the Straits of Tehran, which is uh, south of Elat, but uh, way north of, of Bab el Mandeb. In 1973, the Egyptians blocked Bab el Mandeb, and therefore, whatever Israel had in this area was to no avail, because the Egyptians leapfrogged the uh, small Israeli flotilla at Sharm el-Sheikh and Elat. Now, fast forward to the 1980s. There's peace between Israel and Egypt, and the Israel Navy can traverse the Suez Canal by missile boats and even submarines. Of course, they do not uh, sail submerged. Um, Everybody um, can see them. For some reason, there was a hiatus um, between the late 1990s and about 2007, when Israel could again sail through the Suez Canal, north to south mostly, and therefore save itself the long, arduous journey around Africa. For some reason, the Israelis decided not to do it. Then came one of the Israeli Navy chiefs, 
um, Rear Admiral Eliezer Chiny Merom, and he resumed these uh, journeys through the canal. He was in charge in, in 2002 um, of the overtaking of the Karin A, which was a ship laden with ammunition, which the Iranians sent to the Palestinians. So for the last 15 years or so, there has been a clandestine relationship between the Israeli Navy and the U.S. Fifth Fleet, which is the naval arm of CENTCOM, the U.S. Central Command. But, but for the last couple of years, it has been out in the open. It made sense, along with the Abram Accords, for many navies in the area, Abram navies too, they are cooperating with the Fifth Fleet. The Fifth Fleet is cooperating with Israel. It is not a multi-party cooperation yet. The U.S. is the linchpin of uh, this relationship. But we have seen under Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, the current commander of uh, the Fifth Fleet and, and NEVSENT, the naval element of CENTCOM, a lot of improvement in the relationship. And he is now going to be the deputy commander of CENTCOM and will, of course, work for further improvement in the relationship. So what we had uh, when the CENTCOM commander, General uh, Michael Eric Kurila, visited Israel in late April, what we heard was for the first time an official announcement about the two navies linking up around, actually beyond the Bab el-Mandeb Strait. This is between Asia, or actually Arabia, and um, Africa, in this case, Sudan, Eritrea, uh, Djibouti. Um, and uh, in addition to that, naval commandos, the SEALs in the US Navy and Flotilla 13 in the Israel Navy also exercised together. So mm -hmm. all, all in all, a very good working relationship. Well, let's bring in uh, Colonel Rayburn into uh, the discussion. Uh, Colonel, uh, before we expand on the unique relationship uh, between uh, the Israeli Navy and uh, NAFSENT, I'd like to uh, hear from uh, your perspective uh, uh, and knowledge on this. Uh, what are the strategic interests of the United States for this uh, maritime uh area of, of responsibility, particularly the fact that, of course, China has also established a port in the area, and Djibouti particularly. Uh, the other actors there are the Islamic Republic of Iran with their Houthi uh, proxy uh, in uh, Yemen, of course, threatening maritime shipping time and again. Uh, and uh, we see more elements there. Uh, how does uh, Washington perceive it? Well, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, I can't speak for all of Washington. I can speak, yeah. I think, for uh, for people who think geopolitically uh, and geostrategically. Uh, if you look at uh, the importance of the of this central region, the CENTCOM AOR, if you want to call it that, but if we get down to it, uh, for the for the world's uh, 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 for the global economy in particular, I think that's first and foremost. Uh, there are three choke points right there on the on the edges of the Arabian Peninsula uh, within the Sinkam AOR, the Strait of Hormuz, the Bab el-Mandeb, and the Suez Canal. If we think about the enormous portion of the world's energy supply, the enormous uh, portion of global commerce between east and west, 
uh, that flows through these strategic choke points, you can see that not just the United States, but also the European countries and, of course, the, uh, the countries of the Middle East have a vital interest in keeping those uh, shipping lanes and lines of communication open. And it's not just shipping, it's also uh, internet traffic that goes along the cables that, are, that go through these uh, strategic waterways. The, uh, it it seemed to me for quite some time that the Iranian regime is executing a strategy to try to dominate or threaten or demonstrate that they can, uh, they can close all three of those strategic waterways, certainly two of them. Now, if, if, we, add that to, uh, if we add that to the Dardanelles, now we've got the four, uh, four of the most strategic waterways in the entire world, if you include the, the line of communication between the Black Sea region and the Mediterranean region. And you find that the Iranians are militarily active and getting more aggressive uh, in the vicinity of each of those four strategic waterways. I've, I've always thought that the, the uh, primary strategic benefit for the Iranian regime to establishing the Houthis as a military proxy was to be able to threaten the Babel Mandeb and blackmail uh, the global economy in this way. They already have done that with the Strait of Hormuz, that goes without saying. Uh, and now if you see uh, the capabilities that the, the IRGC is trying to establish in Syria, uh, as well as already are established in Lebanon against Israel, uh, those are the same kind of ballistic missile capabilities that could be used against the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal is within reach of some of those weapon systems, or certainly there are weapon systems that the Iranians could move into that, uh, uh, to that theater that could threaten the Suez Canal. So now we, what we see is I, I've always thought this for, for the last uh, for the last eight, 10, 12 years. I believe Qasem Soleimani was deputized by the Iranian Supreme Leader uh, to do a double envelopment of the Arabian Peninsula by establishing the ground line of communications, the strategic highway from Iran across Iraq, across Syria, down to the Golan Heights and into the Bekaa Valley and so on, to be able to have a strategic road that the Iranians could use against Israel to open up a second or third front against Israel in time of confrontation. And so to reach across the ground of the northern Middle East while reaching around uh, the waterways of the, uh, of the periphery on the other end of the Arabian Peninsula. And so now they've got a pincer movement going around the Arabian Peninsula to be able to choke off and blackmail the, uh, the world economy. If you think about it, that would enable them militarily to sit astride Europe's relationship with the energy providers of the Gulf region, uh, the EU's uh, uh, shipping, main shipping link to South Asia and East Asia, the uh, relationship between NATO and the, and the uh, partner uh, countries of the, the Israel and the Arab countries of, uh, of the uh, Central Middle East and so on. So, so you can see th this is the strategic threat. So it, it makes a whole lot of sense for the United States and Israel uh, to be trying to, to establish uh, a signal of deterrence by these joint maneuvers off the coast of, uh, combined maneuvers off the coast of Yemen. Indeed, Mr. Owen? Well, uh, of course, potentially, uh, Joel is right. Um, if there is a confrontation, and especially if there is a full-scale war, yes, the, the Iranians uh, could uh, 
materialize their their threat for how many hours is the question that that's right um, but but um, if one looks at it um, uh, day to day they are more vulnerable than the Israelis or, or others because of their long coastline um, especially um, in the Persian they want to call it Persian let's call it Persian rather than Arabian Gulf and um, in in the uh, Indian Ocean or wherever uh, um, they sail, up to now, um, they have only served as a nuisance value when they are trying to hit maritime targets with some tenuous link to Israel because um, a former or semi-Israeli businessman has, uh, brought, has bought a stake in some shipping company flying another flank, and they consider it hitting an Israeli target which is really laughable, except for the time when, when two people aboard were, were killed. Israel has shown, without admitting it, has shown that it can take down the port of Bandar Abbas for a time, if it is um, uh, being threatened. And the Iranians understand it, that if they are going to uh, act against shipping, they will be hit. However, earlier, they tried to use the maritime route in order to transship ammunition and weapons through Sudan to Lebanon, to Hezbollah, and perhaps to the uh, Palestinians. Israel has managed um, in a, a very successful interdiction operation, managed to stop it. Perhaps now that Sudan is uh, going down in flames and uh, there will be chaos and ungoverned spaces there, perhaps the Iranians will try it again. Leapfrogging from Hudaydah, from the Houthi-held uh, uh, part of uh, Yemen. But all in all, yes, it's a threat. The um, Fifth Fleet and the Israeli Navy are taking care of it. Um, there has been a lot of improvement you can go back to the USS Cole in the port of Aden in 2000 to see how vulnerable um, it all was to, to terrorism or to Iranian uh, influence. Now the situation is much better. Well, the question is, though, is the United States still doing enough in order to ensure that it maintains at least or contains the situation as it is? Uh, or does it need to do more, considering the fact that we do see uh, the U.S. Navy under the, the Fifth Fleet conduct joint maneuvers with Israel, as we mentioned roughly a week ago, with Italy and France, with Great Britain, and, and we see uh, successive uh, maneuvers as such trying to establish at least deterrence of sorts, but uh, also to actively pursue uh, lines of smuggling from Iran to Yemen in order to thwart also sophisticated, uh, sophisticated munitions from coming into the hands of Iranian proxies, which uh, then would uh, be utilized at a time when uh, the Iranians see fit to target shipping lanes. Uh, is that something that uh, should be evaluated more deeply? Yes. You know, the United States has not been doing enough on this uh, strategic uh uh, this uh, you know slowly evolving strategic threat uh, for quite some time. I, I think you all, CENTCOM is leaning forward. General Carrillo recognizes the threat that the Iranian regime and its proxy forces pose uh, very clearly. 
he's been very serious about orienting CENTCOM uh, against that threat to try to deter that threat. Uh, I think General McKenzie, before General Carrillo, also recognized the threat, but I think that was at a time when uh, General uh, CENTCOM uh, in General McKenzie's time didn't have sufficient resources. And I think General General Carrillo is uh, is is finally under General Carrillo. I think some of the more resources are flowing a little more, um, and under and and of course NAVSENT always uh, is the most forward leaning of of any of the components of the U.S. military concerning the Iranian threat because they live in close proximity to it. They have to deal with it on a daily basis. I mean, if you think about how many years the IRGC Navy would harass. NAVSENT vessels flowing, uh, uh, traveling, transiting the Strait of Hormuz, one way or the other, as well as, uh, and, uh, as, as uh, was already mentioned, uh, the very real attacks that the uh, that the Iranians uh, are taking against uh, against vessels, not just Israeli, but also you know of many countries, Japanese and so on. Uh, so th this is, but it's a threat that strategically, I think the United States has not done enough to counter. And, and frankly, Washington, I don't think, has, uh, has recognized the seriousness of the threat. What we've had since really 2009, uh, maybe even a little bit more, has been an ennui, a fatigue, a Middle East fatigue, if you will. And, and the constant phrase that, we're, that we, the United States, it's time for us to pivot away from the Middle East to some other theater, whether initially that was Afghanistan. Now, you know, for a long time, it's been the Pacific. Uh, without uh, without realizing uh, that there is this threat that that is uh, that is growing and move into any vacuum that we create, uh, and secondly, that it's not just an Iranian regime threat. That now we have the danger of Chinese intervention, certainly political influence uh, in this in this region, which shows that. And this is my this is the third point I would make is that. Washington, I think, has not yet woken up to the fact that in a great power competition with with a with a near peer uh, power that can potentially pose an existential threat, the Middle East is a strategically vital region, and it's a field of competition with that power. It makes absolutely no sense for the United States to to continue to signal that we want to withdraw from our advantaged position in the Middle East uh, and leave a vacuum for the great power that we say. We're more concerned about so so no we we indeed in Washington writ large have not woken up to these to these developments and I think we have not taken account of the role that uh, of the negative role that the Chinese could play in uh, in exacerbating these threats or in using their influence whether it's military influence political influence or economic influence to make it harder someday in the not too distant future for us to act against these growing uh, uh, ostensibly Iranian regime threats. Indeed, I think, uh, as you mentioned, two points are vital to, to understand uh, for our viewers as well. Uh, the one is that the fact that at the time, the Secretary back, uh, of State back then, Hillary Clinton, uh, proclaiming the, the U.S. Uh, uh, pivot eastward was a, a detrimental catastrophe in, in the scales that uh, Washington is still trying to fix in so many levels, and also, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the divestment 
of uh, of investments that the Trump administration decided to uh, advance from Saudi Arabia, moving away from this region, has opened the door for China to become the biggest consumer of Saudi oil, of other activities in the region, which ultimately uh, challenge uh, Washington's uh, position as uh, the most reliable and capable partner. Of course, the one uh, that ultimately streams money into the region is the one who will uh, receive the benefits or reap the benefits uh, from uh, this context. But uh, Mr. Owen, when we look at the situation, what are the assurances that countries here in the region require in order to to see Iran's encroachment westward, among others, um, curtailed? Well, you know, uh, you just talked about American uh, foreign policy or national security policy um, as if there is no domestic political electoral base to take account of. And uh, the um, uh, American presidents, as well as the U.S. Congress, are in no mood, generally, to support such investments, uh, such involvements, and definitely not any new wars following Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, one way um, to go around it, at least to portray it, is what is called the -the over-the-horizon policy. Yes, we withdrew from Afghanistan, but we are still hovering somewhere in the background. We can launch missiles, we can send aircraft, we have aircraft carriers. If we want to launch Tomahawk missiles from submarines or from uh, destroyers, they can be in the Mediterranean in order to reach Iran. They don't have to actually be in the area. Now, of course, there is also the showing the flag and forward presence missions. But the U.S. Navy, um, after many years of not fighting anybody, um, it has prepared to fight the Soviet Navy in World War III as if they were going to repeat Trafalgar and Tsushima and Midway and the Battle of the Coral Sea. Then they changed it to a from-the-sea doctrine. Okay, we are not going to fight another navy such as ours. We are going to use our carriers and submarines as launching pads. Is this going to deter anyone? Until there is proof that there is also political will to use it, remains to be seen. Of course, aerial assets and uh, submarines being... And, and also also another, another point which is, uh, of course, linked with that is the new reliance on unmanned systems, uh, in, right. especially maritime. Task Force 59 is the new toy of the Fifth Fleet. Why? First of all, you don't have enough manpower or woman power now, too. And secondly, if such a system is being hit by the Iranians, you don't have casualties, and therefore you don't have to retaliate and escalate. Indeed. Well, um, Colonel, uh, I'd I'd like to ask you on on a, a strategic level, to what degree or what should be done in order to bring, once again, a change in the current reality where the United States seems to have lost its credibility in a region regardless of its vocal assurances? 
Yeah, I think we have to abandon ideas like uh, uh, like our friend mentioned. Uh, th there's there's been this wishful thinking about an over the horizon approach and over the horizon theater strategy going back since really the the 1990s, certainly in the era of Secretary Rumsfeld. Uh, and you know, I've seen this in practice. Over the what you get with an over the horizon theater strategy in the CENTCOM region is 800 lightly armed ISIS guys in Toyota Land Cruisers seizing Mosul and the, the, and the world's at least then sole superpower uh, seemingly impotent to do anything about it. So you have to you have to calculate control of terrain. You know, an over-the-horizon approach where, okay, we're, we're going to, where we, is it really an assurance to our allies? Would Israel be assured if, if we were to say, okay, you guys are going to be in a war, but we're going to be just over the horizon. And if you get in a real, in real trouble in this war, don't worry, we're going to be coming. It's like the Messiah. We're going to be coming back. Don't worry, just have faith. Or the Metti. Uh, you know, you just, we, we, we'll show up. We're in occultation right now, but we're going to show up like the Metti. This is a, this is not an assurance at all, and and what you wind up with is, uh, it it there's nothing behind it. There's no you would actually have to resource, the the uh, the forces that you were going to have just over the horizon. You'd actually have to have a system, and you'd have to have access and basing and 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 so on, and all of that. Uh, I think it, uh, it it's not there, uh, for the United States even to attempt a strategy like that. It needs Meanwhile, to be a the Chinese are establishing bases right. like in Djibouti. Yeah, exactly. You you have to have you ha you have to be present. Um, you 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 actually have to show up. So I I think this is something we right now in the United States um, we're we're sort of guided by um, a strategy of shortages with respect to our defense budget, and uh, and uh, your friend is absolutely right. There's an enormous domestic pressure to restrain. Uh, the United States from resourcing an actual national security strategy, an actual national security policy, uh, from isolationists on both left and right, but uh, but it, it takes leadership, I think, to explain to a constituency like the American people why these things matter, why these why these foreign regions uh, matter to the vital interests uh, of Americans. And and to be honest with you, it's been a long time uh, since since we had anyone or uh, an administration that did that. With the american people and that's why we're in the that's why we're in the situation that we're in right now it's not Indeed, a good situation well you know because because we are drawing to the end um and uh, we had better leave our viewers with with a positive taste uh if it is uh, <laughs> at all possible let's let's accentuate the positive before we get again to the negative the uh two navies and then the militaries in general are practicing are having protocols cooperation, collaboration, interoperability, these are all excellent between the IDF and the U.S. defense establishment, especially CENTCOM, but also UCOM, because UCOM has protocols regarding Israel's missile defense. However, the political leadership on either side right now is in disconnect, and there will have to be improvement between Biden and Netanyahu in order to make it all happen. Leadership. Leadership is the key word here, I think. Uh, this is all the time that we have for today, uh, unfortunately. I'd like to thank so much uh, Colonel Rayburn for partaking in today's panel, as well as Mr. Oren. And I'd like to thank all of you at home. Until next time, shalom.
Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.